Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Caught at the 20. Racing near sideline 10. Turn of the 5. Touchdown Raiders. The crowd applauds because Las Vegas just win, baby. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. Q. Here we are kicking off hour number three of the show, Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. Got a text from Vegas Pete on the Sam and Ash text line. We beat KC in 20, so it's possible to win in Kansas City. Mahomes is a magician with the ball, so we need to play keep away like Broncos game and control the clock for 36 minutes again. It's odd the Raiders are speaking to, in, to and trying out everyone but Sue. He, has he told them not to bother? That's from Vegas Pete. Join us now on the phone lines from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Also from our sister station ESPN Las Vegas is our good friend Adam Hill. And Adam, thanks so much for your time there. I don't know if you heard what Vegas Pete said, but he said that he thinks the best recipe for the Raiders on Monday is to try to play keep away with the Kansas City Chiefs and hold the rock like they did against the Denver Broncos. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm not I'm not attacking him with this comment because he's, he's absolutely right. Um it's easier said than done, though, right? right? I mean, isn't that everyone's plan when they play the Chiefs? Right. That's been the plan of every single team for four years. How many teams have been able to do it? And I think it's accurate. It's one of the things I actually talked to Mick Lombardi about yesterday of do you have a different mindset going into a game knowing you're probably, you're probably going to have to score, you know, 34, 40 points like in the game? Like, that's probably what you're going to have to do. So it's really easy to say we want to keep the ball away, we want to run the ball, we want to show, you know, shorten the game, all of those things, and that's fine. Then you have two possessions where you put it away, you run a bunch of clock, but you're down 14 nothing, and then what? So right. That, that's what you have to kind of adjust to. And, and I, like, look, I think it's the right philosophy. I just don't know that it's as easy to do as you think it is. Right. Well, and the other thing that concerns me is if you use that philosophy, but the Raiders haven't shown that they can capitalize in the red zone consistently. So if yeah. you hold the ball for a long time and kick a field goal, Adam, you're going to lose that game. So you start off the game with a you know seven and a half minute drive. You kick a field goal. Uh, then Kansas City scores a touchdown. Then you have a nine minute drive and you kick another field goal, and it's fourteen six. So you know again that that's what you're dealing with. So yes, you you do want to run the you want to run the ball, control the clock, shorten the game, keep them off the field, all of those things. But you also have to score. Like that is very important. You have to put the ball in the end zone because you're not going to beat them kicking field goals. No, no, not at all. So that's the challenge that the Raiders have as they go to Kansas City on Monday night. Again, we're talking with Adam Hill from the RJ and ESPN Las Vegas here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. So you mentioned talking to Mick Lombardi, the offensive coordinator. You talked to defensive coordinator Patrick Graham yesterday as well. By yourself, you were a team of one. Uh, what, what was that like anyway, just being there by yourself? It was weird, man. <laughs> and I should say there was a, uh, a national reporter that came in kind of late. Uh, so there was, you know, another person in there, but... For me, yeah, we're just kind of sitting there. And by the way, uh, Sam Gordon walking by, who I think is coming up with you next. So yep. tough act for him to follow. Uh, so I was just saying <laughs> hi to him as he walks by. Uh, but yeah, it was it was weird, and it's it, it'd be great if I if I expected it, right? If I would have known that nobody was going to be there, I would have had all these questions that I wanted to ask for the last couple of weeks, kind of prepared, ready to go. But as you know, when you're sitting in there, for the most part, it's hard to even get one question in. Right. So I had my one question that I needed to ask both of them, and I, that's why I was there. And all of a sudden, I look around, and I, nobody else is there. It was just one of those weird days. A lot of people kind of decided to take yesterday off, the fact that it's a Monday night game and all that. All that. So I just look around and said, oh, it's just me. Let's go. So I started throwing some stuff out there because I knew everybody would need some content. 
we're kind of asking general questions that a lot of people might be able to take advantage of, but it was a very weird experience. If most people that watch the presser know it's a different voice every question. There's usually 15 to 20 people at least right. in there. All by myself was weird. And as you also know, just to go behind the scenes, my spot is all the way in the back. <laughs> and, yeah. and I don't I don't leave my spot. That's where I sit. So I, I was yelling questions from the back all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should have been sitting in Vinny's seat. Vinny's godfathered right up to the front. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, that's I, I don't want to, even if he's not there, you don't touch that seat. That's his. Right. Uh, I have a little sticker with my name. I'm, I'm way in the back, and that's that's how I like it usually, but it was very awkward yesterday for sure. That's funny. We know that Chiefs week, it's a big rivalry for the Raiders. Two years ago, you had the bust. Last year, you had the stomping out on the logo. Do you think that the Raider players in the locker room are just as fired up as the Chiefs are? So I, I, have, I have some insight on that because I just asked a couple of players. Um, I'm not going to identify the player. He's somebody that was not here last year. Let's just say he was in another team. Okay. And I asked him about well, first, Max Crosby. For oh, let's start there. We asked Max Crosby. He put his head down, smiled, and just said no comment about the the team meeting on the logo at Arrowhead last year. Uh, we followed up and said, so we can expect that not to happen again this year. And he kind of just chuckled to himself and said no comment. <laughs> he just wanted to move on, but he, you know, he acknowledged obviously probably a bad idea. Right. Uh, but we were talking to another player who wasn't here, just kind of explaining like, "Hey, here's what happened. What do you think? And how much do you think that adds to the rivalry?" And he didn't believe it. He said, "There's no way that happened." And we said, "Yeah, it did. They they kind of danced on the logo, had a victory at a team meeting before the game on the logo, and the Chiefs remember." And he said, "There's no way that's true." And so we actually showed him the video. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, uh, he was in shock. So, look, it's a thing. We know Kansas City is using it as a thing. They've been talking about it already this week. Um, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. But it's one of those things that if, it, if you win, if it fires you up and you win, it just brings you so much like joy and acceler- ex- you know, excitedness and you're ready for the year. Like You're so confident going forward. And if it doesn't work out, it's going to be remembered for a long time and it's going to you know, kind of make you get laughed at. And that's kind of where they are right now. I think they want to forget it. I think they want to go there, win this game and just hope that it's kind of a footnote in history, like the weird victory lap, which the victory lap, by the way, just to go inside a little bit, I've kind of talked to some people around the building this week. Um, There's people that were on the bus that said they didn't even know that it was a victory lap. Like, they just thought they were taking a different way to the airport. That's funny. It wasn't like, it wasn't like they were sitting on the bus saying, let's take a victory lap. Like, it was just, you know, one guy, let's just say, former coach John Gruden, who decided that they wanted to take a lap, and it's not like they, they stood on the bus and said, we're taking a victory lap. They just thought, hey, this is a new way. We haven't gone this way before, and they went around the stadium. <laughs> That's funny. You know, it's what's even funnier, Adam, is we were talking to Rob Collins from Kansas City earlier to get a little Chiefs preview, and he said people are still talking about the damn lap within the bus trip, and yeah. I, I thought that that was a done deal until we actually heard that in the media room earlier this week about the brought up to head coach Josh McDaniels. I thought everybody had forgot about that by now. Uh, they haven't forgotten there. And Obviously. they haven't they haven't forgotten the team meeting on the logo either. Uh, so, you know, those are things that just add fuel to the fire. And I've always said, look, I, the Raiders are new to Vegas. They're not a new franchise, obviously. Right. Um, I, I talk about this a lot where other cities hold on to these things because they're such bad cities. And they have nothing else, right? Like, we we watch a game and, and every, you know, all the fans are obviously excited about the Raiders and they love it and they're, they pour their passion into it on Sunday. And then on Sunday night, you go to some of the best restaurants in the world. And on Monday, you're at some of the best places in the world and the most fun things on earth. And it's great. And if you're in these other, you know, trash cities, 
you you hold on to this every single day of your life. And it's often what I say about a certain city north of here that really cares about a college robbery when we really don't. Um, <laughs> it's what you have to hold on to and live for. And for us, eh, it's just another day. All right, Adam, you ranked the top 32 NFL cities earlier 30. in the summer. There's only 30. There's only 30 because there's two, two cities. Have two, oh, excuse yeah. me, excuse me. Yeah, yes, you got me there. 30. Where did the Chiefs rank in that list? It was it was very low. I, I haven't looked. I think it was like 24, 25. It's terrible. And, and look, one of the reasons, there's cool food, there's good barbecue, and I actually have a lot of friends in Kansas City, so that's, that's one thing. But the airport is like 1,000 miles away. Yes. The stadium's like 100 miles away from downtown. There's literally nothing to do around the stadium and downtown isn't even that great anyway. Kansas City is a trash place to go visit to see a football game. Now, fortunately for the Raiders, two of the top three cities are on the schedule this year. Nashville, we already went to. New Orleans coming up. Those are good trips. Kansas City, garbage. <laughs> there you go. Say, say it with your chest. <laughs> That's yeah. Adam Hill yeah. right there from the RJ, also ESPN Las Vegas with us here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Now, Adam, Patrick Graham in the in the uh, past has had success against the Chiefs, uh, particularly last year when he was with the Giants. Do you think he has the personnel? Do you think he has the right players in place to try to duplicate that success he had against Kansas City a year ago? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Look, there's a couple of guys that can really cover. Um, we know that. And Kansas City is a different offense now because they have so many different weapons instead of just the two main ones that you focus on. You don't have that elite, elite receiver in Tyreek Hill, but you got a lot of pretty good ones. Right. So it's a different approach than you've had in the past. Obviously, you still have Travis Kels, but, you know, yes, Kels, not Kelsey. Uh, you do have tra- Travis around there who's very, very talented and has a unique challenge. Uh, but it's a different, it's just a different offense we've seen in the past. So that's, the, that's what you have to think about first. Obviously, the formula number one is to be able to get to him without blitzing. Like, mm-hmm. And that gets a lot of quarterbacks, but this one, so important. You can't blitz, but you have to put pressure on him. So, yeah, 98 is a very, very important player. Uh, Max Crosby can do that. Like He can get there on his own. He's obviously going to need help from, you know, you're going to need a little bit more from Chandler Jones, some of the other defensive linemen that are in there, uh, maybe a little more rotation, get some other pass rushers in there, but you've got to be able to get to him without blitzing, and I think that they feel they can do that. And, and, and you can blitz occasionally, certainly, but you've got to disguise it. You've got to mix it up. Um, you've got to find ways to get pressure without sending a whole lot of guys, and that's, that's task number one, and then cover. And obviously, you know, Nate Hobbs is a guy that can pretty much shut down anybody at this point. I think he believes that, and I think a lot of people believe that. So you've got the rest of the secondary to try to work together uh, to do that. And I think a, a real key, once again this week, as usual, is Deron Harmon, who has played them a lot, has gone against them a lot in some really, really big games, um, understands what Patrick Graham wants to do, understands what the rest of the defense wants to do, and I think he's going to be you know, really, really responsible for a lot of the communication, a lot of putting guys in the right place uh, to go up against them. Like You're not going to stop them, right? but you've got to slow, down, slow them down enough so that you can you know, do some of the things that you want to do on offense, stay balanced, stay in the game, stay in touch, and, and find a way to win at the end. So um, that's the other part. Have a short memory, and we know – you know, we saw that out of Amik Robertson. You know, you miss some plays, somebody beat you, but you come back and you make the next play, and that's going to be very important this week as well. I'm glad you mentioned Amik because I wanted to go right there. I mean, you already talked about Nate Hobbs and Amik. He's, you know, a couple times in the last few weeks, he's been able to make some big plays. Do you think the game is starting to slow down for Amik a little bit? A little bit, I think for sure. But look, I think even he would tell you, like, there's been too many plays that he has not made. Right. Um, and, and the ones that he makes stand out. Obviously, the, the fumble return stands out, but that's not, you know, that's kind of out of out of the schedule of what you expect. Uh, you're not expecting to pick up a fumble and try to turn into a punt returner and, and run that back. Um, in terms of just, you know, locking up somebody and, 
and covering them. Like he's made some really nice plays. He's made some good tackles as well. Been been pretty physical in the run game and kind of helping up in support. But I think there are too many plays that he is he's got lost a little bit in coverage, and I think he wants to clean that up. But I think he's got the right mindset to do that. I mean, he he said right after the game, he's like, "You guys are talking to me like I had some unbelievable game," and he's like, "I I played well. I know that. I made some big plays, but." At the same time, like I left all the plays on the field, so mm-hmm. um, I think he understands that he's trying to get to that point. Um, but he is still a work in progress. But I, I do think he's getting better every week and more confident. Yeah, that's that's what it feels like, and and that's where it really starts is the confidence. It looks like he has that confidence right now. Again, Adam Hills, our guest here on Raider Nation Radio nine twenty. Demond's got one for you. When it comes to this offensive line, do you think that they finally found that starting five? I know the only question still may be at right tackle with Thayer Mumford yeah. and Jermaine Illuminor. Yeah, I mean, I think that's still a big question. I know that, you know, they liked Illuminor, and that's why he got the start. I think as much as people want to point out his struggles early in the season, look at the look at the players that he was going up against. Right. <laughs> he had some really, really tough assignments. And I think that, yeah, they made some plays against him, but he also used that veteran presence that they, that they kind of trust a little bit. But it was pretty clear last game that they wanted to see uh, what Mumford did in that same kind of group uh, with, that, with that same, you know, lineup, and they put him in, and I think – Late in the game, in particular, that big drive when they, you know, the De- Denver cut it to two, and you had to make a drive to get up nine, uh, put the game away, and Munford was on the field for that. And I think they really, really felt good uh, about what they did on that drive. So, um, yeah, I-, I think that that's probably what what you see going forward. Uh, but I think that they're very open uh, to to making those changes. And I think the other one was uh, Justin Heron, who came in to play that Foster Morrow role, mm-hmm. right? Where usually Foster comes in on, on a lot of running downs. He, you know, he's at tight end, he lines up there, and, and we see him do a lot of work in the, in the blocking game. Um, we saw Darren Waller actually step up his blocking, I think, a lot last week, which was a, a very impressive development, an important development. But without Foster Morrow out there, we, we saw Heron step in and, and play really well in some of those, uh, some of those rundowns. So I, I don't know if you see him you know, start to feel his way into maybe the lineup at tackle or if they continue to use him as a tackle eligible in certain roles, but I think he's definitely a name to keep an eye on as well. Final question for you, Adam. You're a special teams dude. You appreciate the art of the yeah. special teams, A.J. Cole, Daniel Carlson, uh, the whole shebang. Uh, special teams hasn't been that hot, and especially last game outside of the A.J. Cole uh, down punt at the one-yard line. Matt Collins has been a beast. What is your overall thoughts on just the special teams unit so far this season? I mean, I think obviously you look Daniel Carlson's automatic uh, as a kicker. And, um, you know, I, I think in general they've been – They've been okay. There's been some spots where you're like, all right, the coverage isn't great. Um, there's been some slip-ups, but I think there's a lot of trust and a lot of belief uh, that it's going to continue to get better. You know, the new new system, they're learning some new things. And obviously, Matt Collins is um, just a he's, – he's everything that we were told Tanner Muse was yeah. uh, at yep. one point a couple years ago. Yep. So he's, he's a great presence. I think, they're, I think they're on the right track. There's just – there's some glaring things that need to be cleaned up. Uh, but I did like A.J. Cole referring to Matt Collins as the Devontae Adams of special teams. Uh, that's something he told me after the game last week, and I, I love that. So, um, yeah, I think he's a he's standout performer there, and he's going to continue to be. And they, they, they have trust in the guys that are out there. Yeah, well, they, they need to clean it up a little bit. That game against yeah. Denver was a little rough uh, with the special teams unit. So sure. we'll see we'll see how it, how it shakes out moving forward, and especially this week against Kansas City. Can't have any slip-ups and don't want to give them a short field. That's the last thing they need is a short field. Well, uh, uh, Adam, what do you got coming out on the RJ that we should be on the lookout for? Actually, I uh, sat down with uh, Tyron Johnson today. Uh, nice. You know, I think I've talked about him 100 times in your show. Uh, one, of, one of the guys that I've had behind for a long time. Uh, we'll see what he's able to come up with. But I just talked to him about kind of staying ready and what he's able to do. 
And I'll also give you a little insight. I know you got Sam Gordon coming up in a little bit here. Uh, somebody did some push-ups today in the locker room. Whoa. Stepped yep. on the logo. Someone stepped on the logo. All Sammy right. G, Sammy G, ask him about it. Oh, I will. I will. But look, Sam's in such great shape. He was like, 25 push-ups? No problem. <laughs> well, first of all, he did two actually. He got to 27. He lost count. And I will tell you, Sam is yoked, but he was struggling at the end. Was he really? Oh, good. Oh, yeah. That's great yeah. knowledge right there. That's good in- intel. Yeah. We can give him a bad time about that. Well, Adam, Adam, we appreciate you, man. Great stuff as always. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Keep doing what you do. Sounds good. Talk to you guys soon. All right, brother. There he goes. Adam Hill from the RJ and also our sister station ESPN Las Vegas, part of Cofield and Company. Every once in a while you hear him uh, sitting in on, uh, on Red Nation Radio 920 as well. So uh, Adam Hill, he's, uh, he's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. He can do a little bit of everything and uh, does it at a very high level. So we definitely appreciate his efforts. 416 is the time. I'm glad he gave us that little nugget about Sam Gordon because we'll definitely ask him about that when we talk to him at 430. But coming up next, Clay Baker had an opportunity to get inside the locker room, talk with offensive lineman Colton Miller, also talk to Pun A.J. Cole. We'll hear those conversations. It's the Fast and Furious show today here on Radio Nation Radio 920. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Sam Gordon from the RJ coming up about 4.30. He was at Raiders practice, did push-ups in the Raiders locker room for stepping on the logo. We'll talk to him about that. Talk to him about practice. Talk to him about what he uh, heard from the players inside the locker room. And also about the G League, who's playing their home games. G League Ignite playing their home games here in Henderson at the DLC, the Dollar Loan Center. So all that's coming up at 430. I'm sure DeMond will get a couple fight game questions in as well with Sam Gordon, who's a fight game aficionado. So a lot to unpack with Sam coming up at 430. I want you to hear uh, from one more soundbite from head coach Josh McDaniels, and then we'll get into Clay Baker's one-on-ones, both with uh, left tackle Colton Miller and also with punter A.J. Cole. But I want you to hear the response from uh, head coach Josh McDaniels to the question I had, uh, and it was something we talked about last week going into the Denver game, about the team going just a little bit with a sense of urgency, you know, going a little up-tempo, not fast and furious Big 12 style, but just – you know, just see a little tempo from them. And in the, on the very first possession of the game, you saw the Raiders' offense going a little bit. And they were just getting back to the line of scrimmage. And they were just, you know, speeding things up a little bit. And, again, it wasn't, it wasn't you know, hell on wheels. It wasn't one of those super fast paces. But you could tell that they were adding tempo. And then Derek Carr would get to the line of scrimmage. And, and then he would survey everything and then get things cooking. But a lot of times they'll keep the d- defense on their heels. And they'll keep the defenders on the field who might not want to be on the field. And I think that that's a good thing. You saw that multiple times throughout the course of the game on Sunday. I would like to see the Raiders do that more, more times than not. Not all game long, obviously. That would be insane. But I, I would like to see them implement some of that. And I know JT the Brick has talked about that as well. You know, go with a sense of urgency. Go with a little bit of tempo. So I asked him, and it's hard to ask a question like this in the presser because you're not supposed to talk about formations. You're not supposed to talk about certain plays. I mean, it's just kind of one of those things you don't do. So instead of – you know, trying to give anything away. I just asked him about the tempo, you know, when they were able to do that. Did he feel that that helped jumpstart the offense? Yeah, I think the guys like that, you know, and, um, you know, the biggest thing I've we've stressed since, you know, since we started doing some of that in the spring was the execution, you know. Tempo in and of itself does nothing, you know. It's really the execution that you – 
uh, perform at, you know, when you're when you're going quickly. And so I thought that was the biggest thing that we took away from that is I don't know if it was 16 or 18 plays, whatever it was during the course of the game that we um, that we used it between that and the two minute drive before the half. Um, you know, that, that we were really able to communicate and everybody do their job right, you know. And if you do that, then whether you huddle, don't huddle, you know, you have a chance to have success. But I thought that, you know, I thought our conditioning was okay. You know, I thought our guys, you know, it's the fourth game of the year. I thought we kind of worked ourselves into a point where, you know, you have a chance to go out there and do some things maybe at a quicker tempo. And I thought they responded to it well. They did. I thought they did a good job as well. And, you know, I want to bring that up because something we talked about with Kansas City and the magic tricks that they run in the in the backfield or, or just uh, the misdirection that they run when they're running their offense in general, you know, they've got to have good execution. They've got to be able to be on the same page. Or they're not able to do that kind of thing, and they, you see that they are. So now that the Raiders have done a little bit of tempo, they got that under their belt. One, that's on film. Now teams have to prepare for that. And two, you know that they're capable of doing it. So I'm hoping that we see more of that just to kind of throw teams off a little bit, not knowing when it's going to hit. Obviously, like I said, it's not something they're going to do all game long, but knowing that they have the threat to do that is something that, uh, that, that means another team has to prepare for that. I think that that's a big deal. Now let's go back into the Raiders' locker room. Clay Baker from the morning tailgate, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. with Heidi Fang and Vinny Bonsignor had an opportunity to catch up with left tackle Colton Miller. Here's that conversation. So what's it like at the end of the game when you got that long drive and you can see time ticking off the clock, but you see that you're starting to wear down that defense? What's that feeling like? Um, yeah, well, I, I felt like we, you know, we we established the run early in the game and, and continued on through the second and, and the second half. Um, and uh, that that last series, you could find, you could see him bend down, you could see him, you know. Uh, relax your shoulders, and, and at that moment, you know that okay, you know we got we, we can finish out this game. So that was a that was a great feeling, great feeling to have. The run game, like you said, opened up so much, but at the same time, you could start to feel the momentum shifting in that regard. Uh, what was it that uh, that you guys were able to do, and what kind of momentum does that feel like when you travel you know, to Kansas City, having that kind of success in the run game? Um, what happened last game was uh, we just kept pressing the run. Um, those those uh, small games. Um, Josh turned into big games. You know, he he found the crease. He he broke a tackle, and you just see it hit. So um, it's something to build on. Um, not again, not get too high from it because there's a lot of things to clean up that game. I feel like we could have, we left a lot of yards out there. So um, really be on top of our details this week and, and continue to press, continue to press on those details and and uh, make strides in the run game. Thank you, Cole. Yep. There goes Clay Baker with Colton Miller. I didn't even think that was Clay. I mean, I, I picked up on it afterwards, but it just didn't sound like. Sometimes, I mean, depending on how you record things, I guess it sounds a little different. I was, I told Demond, I was like, "Who the hell's that?" <laughs> I didn't know who that was, but it just threw it threw me off a little bit. But shout out to Clay for uh, getting that with Colton Miller, and uh, we got time for AJ Cole. Or do we need to get AJ Cole after Sam? Well, let's go ahead and, and get Clay Baker with the uh, with AJ Cole, the, the Raiders punter, in the locker room again following practice. Like when you see Matt Collins go down the field and down the ball at the one at that point of the game on that punt return, what was that like for you to see all that come down to fruition and that kind of hustle? Man, he's so special. Everything he does, like, you know, he just <clears throat> he gives me a lot of confidence um, being on the field at the same time with him just because, you know, he puts the work in. You know, he's uh, he's doing everything he can possibly can to be the best player on game day. Um, and it's just, it's a, 
it's really uh, satisfying to play with guys like that. It really takes a lot of the pressure off, and uh, you know, playing with a guy like that out there, it makes my job so much easier, and it just gives me a lot of freedom to just kind of, you know, kick the ball up there, put it out there, and trust that he's going to go do his job because he's consistently been that. And he's the same guy every day, and uh, yeah, I just can't, I, you can't say enough good things uh, about about him, and uh, I, I just, yeah, so happy to have him here. When you look at opponent's footage, do you ever notice on special teams where some players are not engaged or locked in, and they they look like they don't want to be there? Yeah, there's definitely plenty of times where uh, you know you'll see people that that think they're too big time to be playing offense or defense, and then um, you know when you have a guy that really takes pride in it, I think it's contagious, and I think that attitude of saying that you know there's there's no job too small, no detail too unimportant, you know it doesn't matter if he's in the middle of having a hundred yard game or whatever it is, he's going out there, he's playing gunner, and he's going to go make a play, and he's got that confidence in himself, and it's impossible for that not to be contagious, and and that trickles down and. So you know, it's you know, it's uh, you definitely see across the league. You see plenty of times where there's some people that aren't locked in. But you know, when you got a guy in a team like Mac, I think it's really inspiring and uplifting to everybody else. You like museums? Did you like anything out in Tennessee? Did you go to like the Johnny Cash Museum or Country Music? Or I did. I went to the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame with my cousins and walked around there. I did the little audio guide. Isn't that amazing? Uh, I really liked it. The coolest thing I thought I saw was Elvis's car. He had the little machine that turned the uh, uh, water into ice in like two minutes, they said. He had gold-plated vinyl on his ceilings. He had uh, like a telephone in the back seat. He had, man, he had that thing. He had that Cadillac pimped out. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's why you're the king. You know, you can get yeah, things like that that yeah, no one else can get. No doubt. There's AJ Cole and Clay Baker right there uh, talking a little Elvis there at the end in the locker room. And uh, the locker room always makes me and DeMond a little bit nervous, especially when it's not my audio and it's not DeMond's audio. We always get nervous of what's going on in the background. You never really know what might happen in the background, but there's uh, Clay Baker and AJ Cole. I swear it didn't sound like Clay. I mean, it is Clay. I know it's Clay, but it just didn't sound like Clay. I don't know what kind of recorder he's using, but man, it's just it's just like he has a he has a different now. Now he has a different voice. He's got a character voice. I think that's Clay Baker's character right there. I like that. Now he's got two. Now the guy next to me in the in the in the office, Damon, Jesus from uh, the Portes. He's got a character. He sits there. Do, have you ever seen him when he's in his office and he's doing he's he's a puppet. He has a puppet as well. And he's going through his puppet skit. I mean, like, dude's really into it. Like, he really goes, you know, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, Lord, what's going on next door? And it's, it's, and he's like. But he's being really, a ventriloquist, that's like an actual skill, though. Well, I mean, and that maybe Clay does that on the side. I don't know. That's, he's got a character. That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to judge a man by his talents. He's got an extra, uh, extra character. I didn't know. That's cool. I need to develop another character. 430 is the time. Sam Gordon from the RJ. He'll join us next. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. Henderson trying to set up his man now with the blow by. Oh, Wembanyama rejected at the rim. Waters finds the big man. Calmly knocks down another. Victor Wembanyama, seven threes, 37 points. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. That was the highlight of the evening. Scoot Henderson, Victor Wembanyama, Going head-to-head at the Dollar Loan Center, the DLC G League action. Fantastic. And guess what? They get to play again on Thursday. This is Unnecessary Rough. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. Joining us now on the phone lines to talk all about that action is our good friend Sam Gordon from the RJ at Gordon on Twitter. And, Sam, how was the action at the DLC, man? On TV, it looked fantastic. Oh, man, Q. First and foremost, appreciate you having me back on the show. Um, it was everything it, it was supposed to be Q and then some, right? This was an exhibition game 
of course, just a little context here, G League, G League Ignite, the developmental program that was based the last two years in Walnut Creek, you know, responsible for top prospects like Jalen Green, Jaden Hardy, uh, among others, Jonathan Kaminga. So that program is here in Vegas now. They're going to be playing 50 home games, or not 50 home games, 50-game season, 25 home games, 25 times on the road, uh, and that, that, that program is located here. And, and to kind of kick things off, uh, there was an exhibition game against Metropolitan's 92, Victor Wembanyama, top generational kind of prospect from France, 7'3", 7'4", puts, puts the rock on the ground, can protect the rim. And then, of course, G-League Ignite, the star point guard, Scoot Henderson, who is only 18 years old. It's his second year with Ignite. He was the youngest professional basketball player in American history when he signed with them last year. And he would have gone in the top three had he been draft eligible in 2022. So that's just a, you know, that's how good he was. And so this event last night was designed to be a scouting showcase for both of them, Q. And you had more than 200 scouts and executives from the NBA uh, packing Dollar Loan Center to watch these two guys go at it. And they didn't disappoint at all. (laughs) I think when you talk about Victor Wembanyama, right, the presumptive number one pick, he showcased everything, the, the, the handle, the jump shot, the rim protection, uh, the ability to create his own offense, to finish at the basket. And then Scoot Henderson at 6'3", you know, a sturdy 195 pounds with ferocious first step, can control pace of play, he's poised, nine assists, 28 points. Victor Wembanyama had 37, so it was, it was electric. It was everything that the NBA scouts hoped it was. It was everything that I hoped it was. It was everything that anybody who there who showed up last night, hoped it was, and then some. Both of these guys were at the absolute top of their game, and it made for an incredible night, um, an unforgettable one, because these are going to be the top two picks in the NBA draft. I don't think there's any doubt about that. There might be some late bloomers and some guys that we see in the college season coming up um, that are going to be really, really good, but these are the top two picks, and they put on an absolute show last night at the Dollar Loan Center, and it was an electric event that you really captivated the nation, um, you know, basketball fans around the country. Yeah, it did, and it was trending on Twitter. Everyone was talking about it. Like I said, I was watching it on ESPN, too. I didn't get a chance to get out there, but it was fantastic. And before we get back into the game, how big of a deal is it that G League Ignite, like you said, it used to be based in Walnut Creek. Now it's here in Henderson. How big is it that it's here? I think it's huge, Q. Um, I, I think it's huge. I think when you kind of when you take a look at this program, what they've been able to do the last few years and the progress that they've made in terms of being able to develop um, young top prospects like Scoot Henderson, like Jalen Green, like NBA champion Jonathan Kaminga, like Dacia Nix, formerly of Trinity International here in Las Vegas, like Jaden Hardy, formerly of Coronado, all NBA players now, um, all you know decided to take an alternative route to develop and prepare for the pros. So, so having that here now in Las Vegas, first and foremost, it, it bolsters a basketball community uh, that's fortified now by the defending WNBA champions, uh, a historic, you know, traditional, still a traditional program in UNLV, even though they've had some lean years, and now G League Ignite. So, so there's the, the, the presence of basketball continues to grow. It's only a matter of time b- before we get an NBA team, he- team here, Q. I, I don't think there's any, that's the worst kept secret uh, in basketball right now. And G League Ignite is bringing the NBA one step closer, right? It, now the league uh, has more of a reason to, to keep an eye on Vegas. You're going to see executives and scouts circling through Vegas all year long to, to watch not only Scoot Henderson, but there's a couple other you know young, promising players that could go in the first round. Leonard Miller uh, from Canada, Matty Sissoko from France, a couple young, talented players uh, that, that opted to go the G League Ignite route as well. So having them there is massive. And, and again, I would recommend anybody who, who, who here, you know, who's, who's listening to us talk about this, if you have the chance to go see Scoot Henderson while he is here, um, this is going to be his home. He's going to play 25, 25 games here. 
Vegas is going to be a part of his journey. He is incredible. Um, having him here, having the whole program here is huge for the community. Again, it, it gives you know basketball fans another uh, option to tap into basketball here in Vegas. And they'll be back in action tomorrow. That's the thing. They'll be back in action tomorrow. Excited about that. Again, the DLC, the Dollar Loan Center, is a hell of a venue. And, uh, man, it's the yeah. home for the G League Ignite again. We're talking with Sam Gordon from the RJ here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. DeMond's got one for you. Well, Victor Wimbanyama, we know that, hey, he's a freak of nature. He's a unicorn. 7'3", mm-hmm. he made 7'3", finished with 37 points. <laughs> but something to take away from that game is also, what are his playmaking skills like? Because he did finish the game with zero assists. Does he have that in his bag? Do we see, like, can he make plays for others? What's his passing game like? Are there any flaws in his game? Well, I think it's important to keep in mind. I mean, that's certainly not a strength at this point, but he, he he's 18. You know what I'm saying? He, he's <laughs> right. he's so young. We've we've heard about him for a few years now. I mean, he, he he's not new. Uh, folks, folk basketball fans, NBA personnel have known about him since he was probably 14 or 15. So yeah, there there's going to be some things he's going to have to round out. Um, he's not super physical right now. He, you know, he, he only had four rebounds as well. Which when you're seven three, seven four, the biggest guy on the floor, yeah, you should probably have more rebounds than that. But from where he's at at a skill standpoint, uh, I mean, he's just so precocious and prodigious with the way he handles and shoots the ball at, at that size, right? He, he he can create space with his dribble. He's more than comfortable bringing the ball up the floor and, and handling and, and creating an isolation. Uh, they did, He even ran some pick and rolls. You know, there, there, there's opportunities where he's going to come off ball screens. Uh, and then when he doesn't have the ball, he's really comfortable running off screens, different actions to, to free himself up for, for jump shots around the perimeter. Uh, when you talk about what he can do in a paint, I mean, he's 7'4". He's going to be the best lob threat um, in basketball, especially as he continues to mature uh, physically. And then defensively, you know, we know about the rim protection. That's obvious when you're as big as he was. He had five blocks yesterday. Like you said, seven threes. DeMond, only one time in NBA history has a player had seven threes and five blocks in a single game. And Victor Wimbanyama just did that at 18 years old in his first game in America against a professional basketball team. So that's the kind of upside, the kind of talent – we're talking about he's he's not a perfect player right now that there's there's definitely areas where he's going to have to mature um i think he floated a little bit at times in that first half where where, where Scoot henderson was able to you know maintain the intensity a little more throughout uh but when you're talking about a talent when you're talking about a prospect when you're talking about the things he's able to do um at seven three protecting the basket and then getting out on the perimeter and using his wingspan to disrupt passing lanes and the tip passes and things like that um, the term generational gets thrown out a lot, right? Uh, by kind of definition, generational means once in a generation, right? Victor Wenbanyama is generational. This is a player, a prototype that we haven't seen before um, at, at any point with this, the combination of skills at, at, at his size. And he's you know considered to be the best at, at this stage of his development, 18 years old. He's the best prospect since LeBron James. Uh, this He's absolutely singular one of one, and I do expect the other parts of his game to round out in time. He's, he's only 18. Uh, he carries himself like a true pro, and he, he was excellent again last night in his American debut. As you mentioned, people, they're going to be able to see Scoot a little bit more throughout the season down at the Dollar Loan Center. Now, we said it with Victor, you know, he's generational, he's a unicorn, but with Scoot, he fits the more traditional point guard prototype of a body build. Who could you compare his game to from what you saw last night? Yeah, um, Devon, great question, right? From a, from a game perspective, I think there's there's elements of a few guys um, that, that you can, you know, incorporate with, with Scoot Henderson. I, I think, you know, talking to I, – I, I did a – I had a chance to spend some time 
with Scoot and talk to people that know him and that have are close to him and have been around him and, and talking to um, G League uh, Ignite, you know, former G League Ignite veteran Amir Johnson who played I think 13 or 14 years in the NBA and came out of high school, so know what knows what it's like to make that jump. He compared him to a Baron Davis, Derrick Rose, right? I think you see some elements of John Morant. He's a physical, um, you know, explosive guard that loves to get into the paint and, and that loves to finish at the basket. He's a blur in transition. Uh, but he's also at this stage, right, he, he has such a good feel for how to run a basketball team. Uh, I, I think you saw that last night. He's a scorer, but he doesn't force his offense. He finds his offense within the flow of team actions. Yes, he, he's going to assert himself when certain situations a call for it, but it, it doesn't ever come off in a way where, where he's freezing out teammates or where um, he, he's searching for his own offense at the expense of the team. When, when shot opportunities weren't there, he's more than content to kick out and find shooters on the perimeter and then relocate. I was really impressed with how he was moving off the ball, different sets. Um, he's comfortable playing off the ball, um, but he's even better with it. And, and last night, um, you talk about his demeanor. Uh, he knew what was on the line. He knew that there was 200 scouts there, and he knew he was playing against Victor Wembanyama, and he brought the fight um, to Victor Wembanyama. He was fearless attacking him, um, relentless in the way he, he attacked the paint. And, and then there's you know elements of finesse. He's not just a power guard. You saw him in, on one possession set Victor Wembanyama up with a, you know, a Euro step and, and, and finish with a reverse layup using kind of the rim to protect himself from Victor Wembanyama's you know, whatever, eight-foot wings, eight-six <laughs> wing, whatever his standing reach is and finish around the basket. So he's a three-level scorer uh, from an intangible perspective. Uh, you're not going to find a harder worker. Uh, you know, talking to countless people that have spent time with Scoot, uh, you're not going to find a, a harder worker. He has the menta- he has the, the mentality and the drive to, to be the best player he can possibly be. Um, that sounds cliche, but he lives it. So he, like you said, more traditional. Um, we've seen kind of archetypes of Scoot Henderson before, but, but he's his own player in terms of the way he's able to sprinkle in and borrow elements from certain players while also still playing his game, running a team, and, and, and balancing pace and poise with his explosive um, you know, explosive capabilities, getting into the paint, finishing around the rim. Sam Gordon is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Just got a couple more questions for you. And, you know, you were out at practice. We were talking with each other when during the spre- stretching uh, period where we were able to actually be out there and take some pictures. But we were talking about just sports here in the Vegas area and how it's just blowing up. And I shared with you, like, hey, man, people ask me all the time, where do you want to go next? And I say nowhere because this is, this is going to be the spot. What do you just think of the climate, Sam, in general, of just what oh. sports can be here in the Vegas area? I mean, Q, I love it. I, I love it here. I think just I've been here since 2016, and just in that you know kind of six year six year stretch, um, the city's totally transformed. I mean, now it's an NFL market, it's a WNBA championship market, it's an NHL market. You have the biggest non conference basketball, college basketball games here, providing other incredible scouting opportunities um, for NBA personnel. You have it's still the fight capital of the world in both boxing and UFC. The biggest best fights are, are usually. Um, here in Las Vegas, now you have G League Ignite, who who you know features the future of the NBA um, in a lot of ways, and Scoot Henderson and a couple of his teammates, and it's only going to continue to get bigger and bigger. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Uh, a lot of kind of one-off, singular events are here, and and when you when you take a look at um, just kind of the market and the way it's grown, uh, it's it's I mean, it's, there's so many advantages uh, for having sports here. You have the hotel space, right? You have the entertainment options built around sports so that fans uh, can, can enjoy themselves and, and, and really experience everything that the city has to offer. So uh, I don't have any designs of leaving anytime soon. You know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> yes. I, I love it here, too. And 
being able to, you know, last night, again, was just a reminder. Like, this is a showcase. These are the two top picks. They could have played this game anywhere, and they decided to play it in Henderson at the G League Ignite's home arena, the, the, the Dollar Loan Center, facilitating a national dialogue, right, about these two players, their respective teams, based on the Las Vegas Valley. So um, it's awesome. It's it, you, you feel the buzz when there are big events um, in this city in a way that I, I don't know if I've necessarily felt in other cities that I've been in. And uh, I expect the momentum just to continue to build um, as we add more events like the one we had last night. You mentioned that Vegas is the fight capital of the world. I've got to ask you about Spence Crawford. Man, when I had you on the fight game a couple of weeks ago, it was exciting, making predictions mid-November. I got a family group chat talking about flying out. We're going, oh, man, it's going to be <laughs> yeah. popping. Is, is the fight going to happen? Is it still on? What do we know so far? Yeah, Damon, that's a great question, right? Um, it's November 19th. That, that's, that, that date at this point um, is probably out the window, right? I, from, what I, from what I've been told, the two, the two sides had, had, had all, but, you know, all but finalized terms of the agreement. And, and then as ESPN reported last week, um, Mike Coppinger, there was a stick at the very last minute in terms of uh, some of the contractual details with Crawford's camp wanting to review the contract, right? My sense, um, and, and just from, from talking to folks um, around the fight game, is that this fight still is going to happen. Uh, but in terms of the timing, that, that's up in the air. A date that I've had floated to me um, at this point is December 17th. Right, so that would be about four weeks after the original kind of proposed date. Um, still enough time if you if the announcement if everything gets finalized here in the next few weeks, and, and who knows how far we are away from that. I know the, the parties are negotiating, but they've been also been negotiating for six months, right? But <laughs> if they are able to come to a to some kind of agreement, December seventeenth, still have a couple months to, to to unveil a proper promotion. If not, um, the fight's probably going to happen in twenty twenty three. With that said, right until pen is on paper. Um, I can think it's going to happen. I, I can hear from, from folks in the know that it's going to happen. Until Penn is, is put on paper, until we have an uh, official announcement, um, we don't know if it's going to happen. And that's very unfortunate. Um, it's a very unfortunate situation. I think all fight fans, everybody in boxing, involved in boxing, has wanted this fight for a long time. But it has to make sense for both sides, right? It has to make sense for both sides. That's the thing with these big fights. And until it does, we're not going to see um, any names signed on the dotted line. So I, I'm still optimistic um, about it happening, but the timing will be a little different if and when it does. Well, Sam, before we let you go, man, a little birdie told me that you were getting your cardio on during the Raider locker room experience <laughs> today. Uh, Adam Hill was on before you joined us and said that uh, you might have committed a cardinal sin in the locker room and stepped on the Raider logo. Tell us about what happened in the locker room today. Well, I, I, I did, Q. I must confess, I did commit the cardinal sin, and I was very aware uh, of the, the procedures and the, the, kind of the sacred nature of the, uh, of the logo. And, and I had known that a couple of my esteemed colleagues um, had, had had to do with 25 push-ups, and I did not wish to experience a similar fate. Um, unfortunately, uh, there was one point in time where I was a little too close to the logo. I wasn't facing it. It was behind me, and I, I took a step behind. Like, I, I took a back step or whatever. I backed up. Yep. And I grazed, grazed the key word, the outside of the logo. Um, thought I might have been able to get away with it, but Jared Stidham had saw me and Foster Morrow after him. So those two um, more or less uh, officiated my push-ups. Uh, I got the cardio in. Um, it, it was relatively painless uh, and a, a learning experience 
uh, so I don't step on the logo again. Fortunately, uh, it wasn't too bad. All in good fun, and we were able to have some fun with it and keep it pushing. Well, I mean, you're, you're in good shape anyway, so I had no doubt that you were able to knock those out. And I'll admit to you, man, that in the practice locker room, the locker room that they have at the practice facility, it's real easy to get caught up with that logo. That logo just creeps up on you, right? I mean, because it's kind of it's compact. You don't want to be running up on someone while they're in their locker room area, so you kind of start to walk towards the middle of it, and it's right there. So it is a little yeah, bit man. tough in that locker room. The, now, at the Allegiant Stadium, there's no excuse because there's so much room, so much space, but that locker room's a little bit tighter. Well, I appreciate you. you I appreciate your understanding, Q. That's how I feel as well, right? I still, you know, the, still getting a, a feel for the, uh, I guess, the geometry of the locker room and where I can stand and you know my movements, what I need to, which ways I can move and how I can and can't move. So it was all in good fun, a quick and painless lesson, and um, in all actuality, really got me warmed up for my, my the workout that I'm getting ready for um, tonight. So quick little warm up. Um, no, no harm, no foul, and, and on to the next. Um, happy to knock him out. <laughs> nice nice flex right there from Sam. He's like, yeah, that was a warm-up. Now I'm really going to go put the work in. Well, speaking of work, <laughs> Sam, what do you got coming out that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, um, I'm going to be contributing again to this week's Vegas Nation section. We had a, we had a chance, um, the media collective had a chance to catch up a little bit with Max Crosby, who has a big week ahead of him, right? Yep. Maybe girl do any day now, and then, of course, he – is among the most disruptive defensive players in the NFL. The Raiders are going to need him to be on his A game on Monday uh, when they go to Arrowhead Stadium to face the great Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. So be on the lookout for, for a little bit more about him um, and what this season's been like for him so far. Uh, and then I'll be out at the Dollar Loan Center again tomorrow checking out Scoot versus Victor um, part two. So appreciate you having me on, Q. Look forward to talking uh, again soon, and I will, uh, I will see you out of Raiders practice um, sometime in the very near future. All right, Sam. Appreciate you as always, brother. Great stuff. There's Sam Gordon right there from the RJ Vegas Nation. You can check out all his fine work. Covers everything here in the Las Vegas Valley, and uh, we definitely appreciate him, and it was a good sport doing the 25 push-ups in the Raider locker room. 4.50 is the time. We'll come back, close out the show. It's Raider Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Got a couple minutes left in the show, but, man, we got a mystery going on. Many thanks to Sam Gordon, by the way. But we got a mystery going on because Clay Baker sent over a couple interviews earlier that we played, him with Colton Miller, the left tackle, and him with A.J. Cole. And I remember when DeMond started playing the one with Colton Miller, I was like, who is that guy talking? And I thought it was like a media scrum. I thought it was multiple guys. And it was like, no, it's one-on-one with, with Clay. I was like, man, I don't sound like Clay. And obviously I wasn't the only one who thought that because we got a text on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R. Somebody in the 909 said, no way, that's Clay. So shout out to Clay. He's got an intern, <laughs> right? That's what, I'm chalking it up to he's got an intern and that he, or else he's throwing his voice or something. Like he's got more talent than me because I, didn't, I, I finally picked up on it. After a while, because you can hear certain mannerisms. But I honestly didn't know that this was Clay at first when we first heard him. Damon, play it real quick. For anyone so what's it like at the end of the game when you got that long drive okay, pause, and pause. you can see time ticking off the clock, but you see that you're starting to... Now, when you just hear that initially, I didn't know that was Clay. I didn't. So shout out to him. Like I said, he's got him an intern or a little brother. Like That sounds like a Clay Baker little brother. Like, <laughs> maybe his little brother was in the locker room with him. That's, I mean, that's just, it's funny. He's got, he's got an alternative voice or something, man. It's like that, you can hear the mannerisms, but you can't, you really can't tell. And again, maybe it's, it's sped up a little bit. Maybe something. Play it one more time. I'm having fun with this. So what's it like at the end of the game when you got that long drive and you can see time ticking off the clock? That's awesome. That I love it. I love it. Shout out to Clay. Make sure you wake up with Clay Baker 
the morning tailgate. Vinny Bonsignor, Heidi Fang, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. And thank you to Clay for going and getting those, uh, doing the hustling in the Raiders locker room with A.J. Cole and also Colton Miller. I had no idea. That was cool. And then Vinny Bonsignor as well was able to uh, get Josh Jacobs, Max Crosby, Blake Martinez. Lots of good stuff, man. Rob Collins from Fox 4 KC joined us at 2.30 to talk about the Chiefs. We'll deep dive into the Chiefs again tomorrow as well. Paloma Villacana from Fox 5 Sports. She talked all things UNLV. We had Adam Hill talking all things Raiders. And then Sam Gordon, we just wrapped up with him talking all things G League, also talking silver and black, and he had to do 25 push-ups. So lots of good stuff, man, on uh, today's show. We definitely appreciate everyone who chimed in on the Sam and Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R, and also the phone lines as well at 702-365-9200. DeMond, great job back in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Always appreciate your efforts each and every day. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow here on Radio Nation Radio 920.